This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia and welcome to episode 199 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host, Mr. Porkenauer. Episode 199, how are you feeling? Kia ora, Dan. I just, yeah, I just heard that as well and I thought, wow, 199, it's actually 199 makes it sound like we're on sale, <laughs> which yeah. to be honest, I wouldn't pay full price for this. So it's probably quite, quite fitting. Yeah, that's, that's, that's quite impressive. I guess that means... Next week, there's a big carnival and a fanfare. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. I feel like when we started this podcast, I didn't really think about doing like 200 no. episodes. You know, like, and I, I never really had. 10. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just, I didn't really have any number in mind, but the fact that we've just kind of randomly got to 200 is, like, it's pretty incredible. Well, we haven't got there yet. I mean, anything could happen this week. So That's let's true. Not count, let's, not count, let's not make a real, you know, count of chickens before they hatch. Um, Dan. I, I know, look, I know we're here to talk TV and movies, and I know that our patron producers have asked us to stay on script more as part of our end of year review, mm. but I feel like I need another perspective on a question mm. uh, that came in this week on, it's, it's around best before dates and expiry dates on products, because this is something that's close to my heart, and I feel like I know you well enough to, I think I know where you're going to fall on this. So this this comes in from Tanya in Palms North, which is a lovely city just north of Wellington, if you haven't been there, and he said, where do we stand on expiry dates and specifically on like expiry dates that then on products that they're then going into the freezer because for me i won't i won't drink day uh, day old milk you know i drink it the day it expires if it's if, it, if it's the best before date i'll drink it on the day but that's only after a full investigation by both nostrils and a very concerned look on my face that says how have we allowed ourselves to get into this position but i'm not interested the day after but then what about products going into a freezer and coming out? This is this is another layer for me, which is causing me a lot of a lot of grief and I need some I need a second opinion. Uh, look, this is this is bringing out some some trauma for me. So um, so first of all with milk, you're hundred percent right. Like milk goes up and like, you know, say it expires on the nineteenth, then you could use it on the nineteenth, but you'll you'll have to do some evaluation. After the nineteenth, there's no show. Like, I feel like I'm real weird about my milk, like if, like like I enjoy some cornflakes with it with a bit of milk on them, and if that milk even smells slightly funky, I'm out. I can't do it. Um, now to add some complexity to this, Paul, is at my dad's house they buy milk and they freeze it, and then they basically oh. like get it out of the freezer, like when when they need a new one, they put a new one up. So the dates are all out of whack. Like you, you could be there using the milk from like the thirtieth of December, and it's like ah, oh, it's fine, it's been frozen, and it's like is it, is it like, and it's like it's a real like, it's it passes the sniff test, but it doesn't pass the mental test for me of like, you know that you know what I'm saying? It's too much. The 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 because the thing is, the date on the outside of the of the product is what I can go by. That's that's something that feels real and I can trust. But once it becomes frozen, that date is now meaningless. Did it go into the freezer before that date? Did it go in three months after? And you're pulling it out six months later. I it really yeah. is something. And I have um, you know my 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 brother-in-law, my mother-in-law, lots of people uh, like constantly taking the mickey out of me because they know how I feel about this. And they're sort of like, ooh, did I pour the old milk into the new milk? You know, this is another layer of things. It's too much for me. I think the thing is it depends on what type of frozen good you're talking about. Like, I don't feel like we keep a lot of frozen goods in our freezer. Um, but, like, you know, like, are we talking about, like, a, a sausage for the barbecue? Like, I don't even check the date on something like that, you know? Like, that would just be, mm. like, like... It feels like frozen? dairy. It feels like dairy and salads and yeah i don't know have, like, like do you check the do you check the date on if you're making a milkshake do you check the date on the ice cream no i don't actually see no. i'm relaxed with ice cream because i presume we have bought it from supermarket it's gone straight into freezer and therefore it mm, must be fine mm, mm. that's a yeah. really interesting one. Oh, you've opened up a new can of worms i think i only really check the date on milk typically um and the rest is kind of done by look feel and smell <laughs> 
And that's what she said. I'm going to take us straight into um, what we've been watching then, um, because otherwise we'll be here and we will have reached our expiry date. Um, well, Paul, before I'll stop you there, I'm going to oh. give you an uno because I'm the host of this podcast today. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm going to reverse it straight on to you. What have you been watching? Thank you. Okay. All right. I'll bring my stuff up. Here we go. Um, first one up. Okay. Season six of The Crown. So this is a show that since it's come out, I've been there, you know, right from the start back in 2016. I can't believe how long this has been going now. It's 60 episodes, the final season, looking back on the reign of The Crown, standing all the way back with King George, all the way through to the final season, which takes us up to the events of 2005. So we get right the way up, you know, we've gone all the way from King George all the way up there in this final season to 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 William and Kate getting together, the whole Harry situation. We and anyway, as final seasons of shows go, this would have to be for me one of the most disappointing I've had for some time. This is um, this is kind of like, and I know you've had this as well. You know, with um, which shows you like, like Game of Thrones, and I. The thing is, it's hard for me to criticize this show because the writing is, it's sort of like they're retelling events that have occurred. But the thing is, how accurate are they in what they're writing here? So there's so much assumption going on in this season. You know, so we've got the death of Princess Diana. You know, what, and they, they really go into that in the first five, six episodes, what Princess Diana and what Dodi Fired were, were saying to each other. Is, is 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 as pure as fiction as you can get. What were they saying on that boat? What were they saying? And and whilst they prop it up with a few facts and sort of actual photos that were taken along the way, it somehow feels weird. And I just found myself shaking my head a lot. Um, and I and I guess it's interesting because I didn't have that criticism in my head, you know, thinking about the first few seasons, and yet the criticism I'm applying to season six is just as applicable to those seasons. And I guess what I'm saying is I felt a stronger need for these last sort of couple of seasons of The Crown, which take take us right up to 2005. I needed them to only deal with facts and not to try and fill in blanks. Whereas when we were back in the 1940s with King George and a very young Queen Elizabeth, for some reason it felt more acceptable to me for them to be making some best guesses as to what was going on. And that doesn't feel fair, but that's how I feel. It's interesting, right? Because I wonder whether this is a a loose hypothesis but like I, I think with the Diana era is kind of like that's the era that we kind of grew up with and like you know like her mm-hmm. death was very real for us and and you know this is Diana's story is probably the most like publicized and, and famous whereas you know this the, leading up to that was more kind of maybe outside of our timeline and I wonder whether like you know like the slightly older generation felt that way about some of the previous seasons or is it just because that Diana is so wrapped in controversy and there's so much love um, and I, mm. I imagine probably some some hate for um, who she was and, and, and what she did. It's, yeah, I, I think there's almost no way that they could have touched on this without kind of ruffling some feathers. It almost makes me wonder whether, like, it's a shame to kind of end it here. Like, you either have to sort of like – yeah go further or you stop before this because it's it's too much yeah oh look you're you're 100 right in terms of why did we did we have to go here like i would have been happy or happier for season six to actually have started the first episode with like the, sort of fading from black into the news reporting what had just happened mm. and i didn't need them to linger on those final weeks and days and replay you know the car accident and but my, as I said, my, my criticism would not stand up in court. Why, why shouldn't a series that's about 60 years of the royal family, why should it not cover these things just because maybe they feel different because they're more, more real for us? Um, I guess I feel like they focused in on this because I guess my cynical side was, oh, they thought they'd get a lot of people interested, a lot of eyeballs, viewing figures, because you know the, the, the trailers, the posters, all heavily focused in on that. And of course, the general public are interested in, in that but that just felt a little bit ick to me but yeah and and then yeah i don't know i think you're right like that would have actually been nice because everybody knows the kind of story 
and and you know and not not sort of in detail, but at least the you know died on the character. That would have been a nicer way to kind of start it with kind of her death, and mm. then kind of like the aftermath of what that meant for the the royal family. That without kind of like actually having to necessarily have too much of a view on um whatever went on. Yeah, and I, I can't help but feel that because of the political climate and because of what's been reported, and of course you know Harry's book and all of those things, maybe changed them where the way in which they portrayed these people at an earlier time in their life when those things maybe i'm not saying they didn't exist or those feelings didn't exist but certainly the public weren't aware of it and i felt that they dialed it up a bit like the william and kate story was a bit you know the relationship with harry was already showing signs early on the the very positive very positive portrayal of charles throughout all of this who oh by the way, happens to be king. I'm just not buying it. And so the season lost me in that respect, but the series certainly didn't. The season did, but the series, you know, it's like I said, your experience with the final season didn't go how you wanted it with Game of Thrones. It's, um, there are, despite what I've said, regardless, some terrific performances that are on par with any scene in any of the other previous five seasons, the casting and and portrayal of key members of the family has, I think always been exceptional and I won't give spoilers, but they do, they do something very clever towards the end of the season. And they're they're able to find a way to, to bring Claire Foy and Olivia Coleman back in as the queen and having them alongside Imelda Staunton, um, all in one season is a real trip because those three actresses have been the highlight for me throughout this entire run. It doesn't matter what you think of the Queen either. That's not what I'm saying. It's just simply the performance of the representation of the Queen at every age. And you know, Imelda Staunton has some, delivers some very um, harsh sides to the Queen, so it's certainly not trying to paint her in a good light. It's just very, very feels on the money, and those three was spectacular throughout. So there's there's a lot of positives despite what I've come in with. Mm. As for some reason it's really making me reflect on this is a bit of a side side note, but remember when we watched that movie Spencer? Uh, it was a twenty twenty one yes. movie with yep. uh, Kristen Stewart and just how much of a kind of a psychological drama that was and it's making me just kind of reflect on that and like you know that that's a more interesting Diana story for me. And I know that this whole season wasn't just about Diana but it and um, yeah, it does. It, it's a shame that it hasn't kind of landed um, after having so many strong seasons. And I know you, you've raved about them for years. Mm. Yeah, certainly one to four, five was you know five was already starting to get too modern for me. But seasons one to four, you know, as a series, yeah. When we go all the way back to the start, yeah, you know, we have the Queen working with Winston Churchill. And by the time we finish this, you know, she's, she's, she's sitting down with Tony Blair, you know, we've had so many along the way. My favorite being Gillian Anderson as, as Maggie Thatcher. Um, so it's a series I recommend, but for me, I would, I would, I would say you could stop at the end of season four or five, but that's just me. But if, yeah, as a, as a whole, if you're looking for something that's relatively informative and teaches you history of the royals from a certain point of view, and the government as well. It may not be accurate, but it's a lot of fun along the way. Then, yeah, The Crown, that is the final season. Um, all six available on Netflix then. Very good. Anything else on your list this week? Yes, I also have um, Ozark Season 3. Um, this is a show we've talked a lot about on this podcast. So I'll I'll just talk Season 3, obviously, but just to recap... In case you've missed, this is a show about a financial advisor who drags his family from Chicago to live hidden in the swamplands of, of, of Missouri to go launder 500 million in five years. Sounds like a bit of a challenge. I reckon that would be something we could put our minds to. Then this season, um, Laura Linney is the gold medal. I'm not sure how much you can remember specifically about specific seasons, Dan, but I feel like I've praised this show and the cast a lot for season one and two, in particular Jason Bateman. Season three is the is is the Laura Linney show. She really steals the whole season. She's no longer she's no longer taking it. She's no longer taking it back seat. There's this um, she's a steam train now, and she has no time for Marty Bird or any other passenger for that matter. And this is it's it, it's so pronounced that this is obviously deliberate and quite rightly so because turning up the volume on her character has made the show so much better for it. So Navarro has told Marty he's out. 
you know, after the whole baby thing mm. and Wendy's in and she and this cartel lawyer, Helen Pierce, are now uh, close acquaintances. Pierce is also superb, real slippery. Wendy's brother turns up out of the blue. He is a hurricane. So, you know, he gets together with Ruth, but he's bipolar. He's off his meds. And so then he starts talking about the cartel. And so, you know, the last thing you want to do is talk about what's actually happening. It would be like in Breaking Bad if someone walked into the laundry and said, oh, by the way, they're making the meth underneath. It's like it just changes the landscape of everything. Um, so, yeah, for me, as I say, we've talked about a lot, but I will say it's solid middle season. It sets up an exciting final season, which I hope to get onto the next few weeks. Um a really, really enjoyable watch. Absolutely top quality. Can you remind me where this season kind of, full spoilers, um, where this season kind of ends? Just to kind of uh, give me a bit of a bookmark in time. Um, so at the end, um, I guess what I've just sort of touched on is where um, the brother, what was his name, Ben, Wendy's brother, has he's he's gone off the rails he's right, he's yeah. told he's told helen's daughter by the way your mum is actually working for a cartel that's not going to fly it's it, you know anyone who's in trouble with the cartel gets wiped out but of course this is the first time we've had someone from the bird family and wendy has to leave him at the diner and walk away knowing that he's just going to get taken out and there's absolutely nothing in the world that her almighty can do about it um maddie's still struggling with the relationship of keeping them together they've been apart the whole season um even though they've sort of still been presenting a public face so yeah that's where we are with that we're also by the way down in the season where the the darlene and wyatt storyline starts to i tell you what this was supposed to shock the audience well it did but also no just no just there's so many great characters that this like it is shocking but there's also so many great payoffs and kind of some of these stories too and i i'm i'm excited for you for season four um when season four first released it released in two parts and so there was a bit of a delay like they did the first right. uh yep. seven episodes and then they did the the last seven so it's great that you can kind of sit down and watch it all as one and you probably you'll probably notice a bit of a, a spike in the middle of the season yeah it's um Okay, I'll look out for that. I, I do remember now you talking about that at the time. It's it's just solid. It's just a solid middle season. It really sets things up. I think there are a couple of things missing. Um, the threat factor doesn't feel as big as season one or two. Maybe I need a few more consequences. Mm-hmm. You know, when things go wrong, I sort of miss the threat of the snails. The old the snails as they were before before you know Darlene put that little bit of poison in his coffee um now it's just darlene and she's trying yeah you know, she's just she's white trash and she's not carrying the same weight as when they were both sort of more in the game um but it's you know this is a show you had i had a look back through dan you had this in your top 10 lists twice over the last sort of four years and i'm i'm just here confirming that you were correct it's it's just the strength of this show is in the long game writing you know, they're not going for quick story acts that resolve in an episode or two. This is really thought out. This is, you know, Jimmy McGill long game thinking. And I and I love I love that because I know that um I, I know that I never expect any of the main four family members to ever wind up getting killed. You know, and I and I expect that, but it still carries the tension. And I just love watching how Wendy and Maddie, and particularly Wendy this year, are going to get themselves out of situations or, or or keep this whole thing running to keep them alive. That's the that's the thrill, and um, it's just been just been great, absolutely great. A few people I've spoken to were always like, "Oh, why did they why did they end Ozark? They should have carried it on." But I, I actually think this is a classic show of like, because I actually think in between season two and three there is a couple of slower episodes, and I think you're right, like the the pressure does come off but i think they do a very yeah. good job of, of bringing it back on and i actually think a show like this actually needs an end point because if you just drag this on for like seven or eight seasons then every, everyone just becomes either expendable or um you know there's no way marty no, the marty bird he's the main guy you know whereas i actually yeah. think having a bit of an end to this is, is super important to this type of storytelling yeah no i agree and i think you're right it does sort of just quietens down a little bit and, and that allows i guess for a little bit of backstory and that we get the because yeah, of course marty gets captured in this 
season and that was intense but well whilst he's in capture we have those flashbacks of him as a kid and we get the whole relationship with his dad thing we get the whole video game thing with the video game machine that he gets Mm -hmm. in the basement and and sort of the way why he is the way he is because we've always talked about jason bateman's character being this level-headed cool financial advisor you know who suddenly is now laundering millions of dollars of cartel and it's just it's it's, how did his personality fit for this and that was interesting so so yeah so um as i mentioned last week i've now switched back to succession season three which i'm midway through and so i hope to get back into the final season of ozak in in a few weeks and that's that's on netflix but yeah i think if you like shows like breaking bad if you like things like narcos better call saw those sort of shows as you said to me I am paying it forward and saying I am confirming you were correct, and this is the sort of show for you, I'd say. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? Like it very much does have a, a Breaking Bad type of feel, but it's it almost feels out of character that it's not like HBO or AMC or Paramount. Right. Like the fact that it's Netflix is, and and I I think a few people might have missed this, so I I highly recommend you, especially now that everything's out. Like it's it's such the perfect binge, um, and so mm. many lovable characters. And my final comment is I still love how they start each episode with the with the O coming up and they split mm-hmm. the quadrant into Z-A-R-K and then each thing represents something that's going to happen in that episode, but you don't know what it means at the start. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very good. Very good. Oh, it sounds like you've had uh, two great shows uh, to finish off this week. Yes, indeed. And we've got our third one to talk about together. But before we jump into that, Dan, what have you been watching? All right, so I'm going to start us off with a, a TV show as well, and this was a a TV show that has it was sort of on my radar, but the synopsis didn't really do anything for me. But the cast kind of intrigued me, and then um, on the old tickety talk, you know, people are dropping their their top ten TV shows of 2023, and this TV show made it onto quite a few pe- quite a few people's list, and I thought, you know what, I better check it out. So this is love and death which is a a tv miniseries you can currently watch that on neon here in new zealand um it stars uh, elizabeth olsen um who some of us know as the the scarlet witch uh, in the avengers uh series and also jesse plumens who we know from breaking bad so the synopsis here is two church-going couples enjoy small town family life in texas until somebody picks up an axe and so it's it's this is a great kind of murder mystery crime drama like it's it's and what actually makes this show so great, and I was hooked from episode one, like, I don't know why, I, I said, I'll tell you right now, this would have been in my top ten if I had wow. um, if I had watched it last year. Okay. Elizabeth Olsen as Candy Montgomery, absolutely incredible. Like, she just, I don't know, she's just, her, her talent's great. Like, she really kind of draws you in, and she's this uh, kind of Texas... Uh, homemaker like invests a lot of her time in the church she's involved in all of the church activities from the social clubs to the volleyball team to the whatever they've got going on and she kind of fantasizes about basically having an affair and because she's she's kind of a little bit like kind of bored in her life she kind of like is just she just likes the idea of it and the person she kind of sets in her sights is um jesse plemons who is also a, a member of the church um it's it's got a very kind of uh you know 70s 80s kind of like aesthetic um it's kind of the classic the man goes to work and kind of you know the the woman kind of stays home and it's kind of the homekeeper looks after the kids and it's it's it feels very kind of like old school America. And so she kind of sets her sights on him and proposes the idea of basically, do you want to have an affair? And, you know, that both both Jesse's and Elizabeth characters are, are married, like happily, relatively happily married. And it kind of basically sets off a, a, a catastrophic series of events. But it's, it's, it's another one that's great because you go into it knowing that it's a miniseries. It's only seven mm. episodes. It takes you on sort of a full arc from the, the sort of the beginning of the story until um, some treacherous things start to happen and then the outcome of those treacherous things. So a lot of enjoyable characters, 
easy like just just an easy like relatively easy but but good watch and and it's kind of one of those shows where you kind of end up feeling for different characters in different ways and it's it's just interesting seeing what this whole sort of how, how it kind of plays and I know that there's been a couple of different takes uh on this particular story um now I haven't seen there's another one with uh Jessica Beale um okay and I think that I'm just looking at it right now that also came out relatively recently it was called Candy this and they did this as a, a mini a five episode mini series uh, which I think sort of tells a, a similar story but this is a this is a a must watch I would say Paul like it's particularly because it's just kind of a, a one and done like even Jesse Plemons alone is enough to kind of like I think draw me in I don't know why I think it was kind of the the, the church going couples kind of put me off at first and I didn't know whether that was kind of sparked any joy for me but it actually became one of the most fascinating um, almost kind of like insights into into that sort of community. It also stars um, uh, Tom Palfrey, who is in um, Ozark. So he he plays Don Crowder, who's a yeah. who's a lawyer. It's got um, Kristen Ritter, who we we know from Jessica Jones. It's so yeah, great cast, great story, highly recommended, and it's available on Neon. There's so much here that is a, is appealing. Uh, the synopsis is fantastic, and I was just thinking of how you could. That's so appealing if you were to just change some of the words, but always finish the sentence the same way. So, you know, two podcasters enjoy a podcasting life until someone picks up an axe. Two, <laughs> two, two public servants enjoy working for the government until somebody picks up an axe. You know, it's like until once someone picks up an axe, that's uh, I love that idea. Um, the big name that you haven't mentioned here, which also speaks volumes to me around why, oh yeah, I can see how this must be a, is David E. Kelly, of course, um, as the creator. And so when you've got the guy who's done L.A. Law and the, the practice and Boston Public and Lincoln Lawyer and, you know, what else? It's so many things. That's another huge name. So the production there, the writing there is that's that's a big tick. Um, always in, enjoy Jesse Plemons as well. I haven't seen much of Elizabeth Olsen myself, but um, yeah, Jesse, Kristen Ritter, as you mentioned, another favorite. There's a lot of things that appeal here but it's the miniseries which is it's kind of a safety net because you know no one understands as we often said in 199 episodes the pressure cooker of podcast life is that you're going to go in if you're going to go into season one the chances are you're going to want to see something through and, and what are you getting yourself into a mini a miniseries provides that level of protection mm, it does indeed yeah i think it's um it's i was thinking you know, the thing is, if I was to put this in my top 10, what would it, like, I think it would have, like, kicked off my number 10, which, uh, from memory, was Ahsoka. It and was. so that probably would have shifted that down to an honourable mention. So it would have just, just probably scraped in there. But I think, yeah, if you haven't seen it, this is this is one to check out. Nice. Very good. And this is available on Neon, you say, in New Zealand. That is, that is HBO. correct. Mm-hmm. HBO. So, and you, you, you to be fair... I don't think I've really been steered too wrong on any HBO series um, from mm. from memory. Uh, most of them pretty much have a, a, a gold stamp. So, yeah. yeah, no, look, check it out. Um, I would say, actually, before you, if you do check it out, like, like don't go too deep into any of the sort of this, like, there's lots of information about the story. Like, kind of go, go on the journey. Like, don't kind of, because it's kind of based on a, a, a true story. Um, Go in blind. The less you know, you know the better. Uh, and then the final thing is I've, I've gone back to a classic, Paul, a classic movie, one of my favourites of all time, um, 2008's Step Brothers. So I was <laughs> feeling like, you know what, it's been a long time since I've seen Step Brothers. I love the laughs of Step Brothers. And sometimes I like to go back and just be like, how is this movie holding up? And is it still a classic for me? And I can confirm, Paul, the Catalina Wine Mixer is still everything that it once was. This this is such a great movie. I had such a great time. Uh, Will Farrell, John C. Riley, uh, Richard Jenkins, Adam Scott, it's Catherine Hahn. Like it's it's honestly, I just love this movie. It is I think it's just going down as a classic for me. I don't know what how old a movie has to be to sort of class it as a classic. But um, this this is in that category for me. And I, even talking about it right now, I could probably watch it again. 
this is this goes a long way back in the podcast end to one of our early movies to get to know us and it was it was in that mix then at the mm-hmm. time i feel like i feel like i could say one liners and you might better finish them off why are you so sweaty i've been watching cops <laughs> straight away i was watching cops so good um i need to revisit this one um i'm not going to call him dad Brennan, you're 39. I wouldn't expect you to call him dead. Well, I'm not going to ever, even if there's a fire, <laughs> the relationship between these two. Um, these guys are funny in anything they do individually and, and together. Always gold. Um, this is, this is, I believe, I'm just going to check the website, but this is, yep, this is one of your top 10 movies of all time. So this is a, this is a real, this is a comfort watch. This is a, this is a definite, it's the start of the new year. We're all going back to work. I need something. I just, I just need something just to comfort me at this point. And it's kind of like, like an old period of Trek pants, right? Like they're super comfortable. They're worn in. You kind of know where the holes are in them and you know the, the quality of it. And it just, it's just good. It's, um, I don't know, and I really enjoy watching this movie with somebody who hasn't seen it. Like, it just brings out, like, but I'm almost kind of at that point where, like, I'm looking at them to see whether they're going to laugh as much as I want them to, and I feel like it, <laughs> I think it's kind of one of those movies. Like, it's definitely an acquired taste, isn't it? It's not for everyone. I, I know there's a lot of people that uh, don't like this type of humour, but I don't know. For me, this one's just a, it's, it's a classic. It's a classic get-to-know-me movie. It's a classic feel-good movie. Um, I will no doubt bring it to the podcast again um, sometime in the 300s. <laughs> Making sure that someone is appreciating something as much as you is a real big thing for me. So, like, if you if you and I were to sit down together in person and watch Apollo 13, I think I'd probably be watching you as much as I'd be watching the screen just to mm-hmm. make sure mm-hmm. that you appreciate. It's like when I send my wife reels on Instagram I'm like I'm looking over just to check that she's she's laughing enough because if she's yeah, not, yeah. it's yeah. like I, I need to up my game, you know. It, it's funny speaking of those Instagram reels. Like, so my wife is also always sending reels, and sometimes I'll send her a reel, and we'll be in the same room, and she'll like give it like the laughing face emoji, but there'll be no laugh, and I'm like, <laughs> I I feel, I feel like I'm robbed. Like you want it out loud? Yeah, I want it out loud. I, I if you're in the same room, you don't you don't need to emoji back. But no, if you and if you are going to do that, do the emoji later once I've left the room. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed, indeed. Very good. So anyway, that is me this week. So love and death on neon, highly recommended. Step Brothers, great way to kind of start the year, um, and just kind of remind you of the importance of family. Um, that is available on Netflix here in New Zealand at the moment. But Paul, should we jump into our joint uh, watch of the week? Indeed, yes. So every week uh, we bring to the podcast our watch of the week. It might be a TV series or a movie. We announce what that will be in advance in our Discord community where we now have a, a bit of a calendar running there of what upcoming reviews will be for the next few weeks. So if you're keen to see what we're watching, what's coming up, um, just click on the link in the show notes and then you can sort of click along and, and watch along if you want. This week, Dan and I are reviewing season three of Slow Horses. So this feels like it's you know we've we've only just reviewed season two of Slow Horses mm. uh, at the end of last year, which was a hundred percent my fault for kind of dragging the chain on this. And I, this this is a, a this is easily a top ten TV show of all time. Like it's 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 so good. It just combines everything we love about I think British. Um, crime thrillers. The it's got such a great dark undertone. And so, if anyone doesn't know, so Slow Horses basically follows a a team of British intelligence agents who serve as a, a dumping ground department of MI5 due to their career ending mistakes. And what makes this show more than anything for me is uh, a character called Jackson Lamb, played by Gary Oldman, who is both the the best and the worst boss you could possibly imagine. And even though he kind of leads this team of um, misfits and people that have kind of stuffed up their job at every turn, you just can't help but love the guy. And he he often, like, you can tell he's good at his craft and he's, he's good at what he does. And I think season three, like, this, this show's just getting stronger and stronger as we go on. I think that's a, I think, yeah, it's getting stronger and stronger as we go on. That's, that's the important thing because it had me with season one, but it is an absolutely extraordinary TV series. It's, um, 
you were talking earlier, you know, when I was talking about Ozark saying about, oh, you know, not enough people have seen it. I feel like this is also this, it's something that's kind of just off the radar. It's like just about no one else I talk to, you know, my store council seems to be watching it or has even watched it. And, and I know because of course this is Apple TV plus not, not everyone subscribes to that platform. So that's one, that's one reason, but I just feel like, like if I was delivering flyers, to people saying listen to have measures at the bottom of that fly i would say the first show you should watch is is probably slow horses mm. i think it is the apple tv factor because this is uh the last time i checked and number one on apple tv is um the most popular tv show which i think is fantastic and i think you hit mm. the nail on the head i think a lot of people don't really think about apple tv as a platform to check out but you know like we've said this time and time again i think apple if you are having to make sort of choices around what what platform i think apple tv is a platform that you probably want for you know a couple of weeks that's right you know each year um i think you'd have to kind of time that right but you know we say this all the time ted lasso for Mm. all mankind um slow horses um severance severance platonic silo Silo. like you know like the the, there is a a lot of top tv shows um Mm. They've just put out um, The Killers of Flower Moon is available yeah. now to, to watch for uh, f- free. If, and if you've got a spare seven hours to watch it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> right. So I think it's it's a platform that doesn't quite have the, the level of content that, say, Netflix does, but it's a platform that does have a lot of good quality content. So I wouldn't if – you, if you're getting a bit fatigued with your current providers, then this would be one that you could easily give a go for a little while. But this season of Slow Horses is very good. I feel like um, they really kind of like – I think what's great about this season is it kind of becomes the Slow Horses versus MI5 uh, proper with, yeah. um, with some sort of real – dark and comedic sort of other events taking place at the same time and what's what's so funny about this tv show is these characters generally are kind of like f-ups in their jobs like like they're always trying to do the right thing but they never quite think it through and they never quite have the full picture and it's what's funny about it for me is like Gary Oldman's character of Jackson Lamb, he's kind of already thought through. He's already a few steps ahead of anyone, but he never shares that information. He just kind of lets these people continue to screw up time and time again. And that's where kind of the gold is. Yeah, it, it really is. His his delight in watching his team fail, which is going to go against his mission operation, you know, sort of like what he's trying to achieve um, is so illogical. Um but it's what makes it so watchable. What makes it so funny? Just talking about how funny it is, Dan. And I don't want to take us down a rabbit hole, but we talk a lot about the genres that are applied to shows in terms of what this is mm. a drama thriller, um, according to you know IMDb, for example. And I think that's fair. But I think there's a comment. I think there's a third tag there for comedy. I really feel like I spend a lot of my time watching the show laughing, and it's the laughs that I appreciate along the way that make this more. Because, you know, if this is not a police drama, you know, it's different to many of the big hitters like, you know, Happy Valley, Lana Judy, Broadchurch, Luther, those sorts of shows. But it has a feel that puts it in amongst them in terms of crime dramas. And if I was to do a league table of all crime dramas that includes those shows I've just mentioned, it's on par with those shows. And it would be a mm. top five, top ten at the least in terms of crime drama series. And I just think that the comedy element that it brings is a, is is cleverly done. I think there's a lot of other great characters to really enjoy in here. So, and I think what they've really started to do is kind of draw out the stories a little bit about the agents that that work within Slow House. Like we've always had, like River Cartwright, um, played by Jack Loden, as a as you know, he's the real core kind of like almost wants to be a 007 type type agent who you know he's he comes from a family of spies, but he hasn't quite ever quite landed anything to sort of to almost kind of push him forward but at the same time he's got like the most heart and the most courage of all of them he'll he'll do anything um for the case he'll do anything to kind of solve the crime um he'll break into mi5 if he needs to he'll he'll take a few punches he'll get kidnapped he'll go undercover he'll, he'll do whatever it takes um you've got other i think characters which are just fascinating like um christopher chung's character roddy ho who's kind of the, yeah. the tech guy and there's some fantastic scenes with him in this season where he has to take um um, 
Gary Oldman's character out in his car, and he's—I just love that he's got this Brilliant. kind of like souped-up Subaru WRX, and it's—it's it's got like neon lights, and it's the most unstealthy car ever. It's you know, it's got anime kind of screens on the radio, and it's—it's it's just gold. <laughs> it's the most un. Uh... Jackson Lamb car of all time. Like when Gary Oldman's face when he looks at this car, I mean, we can't repeat half of the things that his character says throughout. It's just, it's just brilliant. And it's the delivery of his lines in any situation. The sarcasm that's just, is just the gold. Another little rabbit hole that, and I know I said it when we talked about the previous season, but I'll say it again. The theme song for this mm-hmm. is, oh. is so good. The opening credits, but it's Mick Jagger. But what I love about the fact is, is that, he knew um, Slow Horses before it became a TV show because he'd he'd read the books, um, the strange game all came from, and so the theme song that he wrote is is so in tune with the series, and it's he he wrote it based off of books, and I just think to have someone as 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 world renowned as Jagger singing the theme song, it really sets the theme because we often talk about the opening credits and the rest of it this one really sets the mood for me mm, no it is a it's a it is probably again it's probably a real up there um theme song for or opening sort of music for a tv show it's it's really memorable um some other characters i i've really enjoyed the story arc of as i i enjoyed sort of the camaraderie and banter between um amy uh, Ephon Edwards' character in uh, Cardiff Kerwin, who played um, Shirley and Marcus, like they they just had, I think, you know, particularly as uh, Shirley's character kind of gets caught with some drugs on her, they kind of, you know, Marcus's character's kind of like caught up in some gambling. Like they've all got yeah. these kind of like side stories going on, which kind of impact who they are. And I think one thing that always and I say this all the time with British TV shows, is like you are an MI5 and you don't even have a gun. Like you, like in the UK, like it's a bit like New Zealand, right? Like, like I feel like you are solving crimes with a radio and a trench coat, like and a whistle, a, yeah, and a whistle, whistle. If this was America, like you just you'd you'd be gun out, torch out, you'd yeah. be kicking down doors. And it's I think it's just a different type of chase and um, sort of. I don't know, style of storytelling and crime fighting that that always keeps it interesting. It really does. Talking of interesting, watching Gary Oldman eat an ice cream whilst walking was was superb. It's uh watch out for that scene. It, it's incredible. Catherine Waterston, um uh yeah, from Alien and from the Fantastic mm. Beast trilogy. Great actress. She so she's, you know, spoilers here. She's the one who in the start, you know, when she's out on the road with, with, with Donovan, it's her death that triggers Sean to go completely rogue and seek justice. And that's the trigger for the whole sort of season, this conspiracy. You know, things get buried and buried and buried. And I thought it was a really um, great setup um, for, the, for the three seasons. I felt like this had the strongest, um, the strongest drive for... Let's get this. You know, I needed mm-hmm. them by the end of the series to have achieved their goal and to get those papers. You know, the the, the grey documents, whatever they were called. I needed them to be successful in that, and so I thought that was important. Probably my biggest niggle of the season, though, Dan, is that um, on reflection, Jackson Lamb, you know, Gary Oldman's character, doesn't potentially spend enough time with some of the other main characters and River Cartwright in particular is probably the one i feel these two together are really gold and it's just they were so split for so long it's kind of like you know we talked about it with walking dead you know splitting up the main characters i just want them all on an adventure together a little bit more i think you're right like i think it's a shame it's almost like jackson lamb's character intentionally kind of splits everyone up but i think anytime jackson lamb is on the screen with like you know um diana taverner gold absolute gold because you've kind of got this like kind of like super posh um uh, upper class woman who kind of you know second desk at mi5 dealing with uh jackson lamb who's who's running slough house and has got so many stains on his trench coat he could borderline be um homeless homeless. but um 
Mm. I think you're right. I think what's good about this TV show is we know we're getting at least two more seasons. So at yeah. the end of this season, we've already got the trailer for season four, which is great. And we know that there's definitely a fifth season coming as well. So I am hoping, and I think they do a fantastic job with these trailers because they always look action-packed and show so much happening. I really hope we get some more collaboration, particularly like I'd love to see Gary Oldman with, with Ritter Cartwright for like most of the season and them kind of working mm. together. Um I, I think that's a really good shout, and because I think that's where the, where the gold is in this series. Like I say, two more seasons guaranteed. I could I could easily go ten seasons of this show. I think it's one of those. But what I what I will say is, whenever they end it, whether it's five or six or or whatever, I need this show when it ends to give me that. It needs to have a satisfying victory for the slow horses. You know, it need for me perfect ending for this series. I don't know what you think would be for them to. To do something where they, you know, they save the king's life, or or they do something monumental, they do something that sees them being, like, pardoned, full apologies, giving them the option. Okay, you can return to MI five, such as been your service, but they all decide to say, do you know what? We're going to stay at Slough House. We quite like it here. I actually think Slough when you like when you compare the two different worlds of um, MI five and Slough, I actually think Slough House is the best because yeah. you're actually a, you're a small group of people who are kind of like, you know, running your own kind of black ops. Um, and whereas if you're MI5, like it's it's a whole different world. Like you're you're wearing a suit, you're in a, a big white office, you are whereas I think, you know, the Slough House is boots on the ground. I, I that's I think you're right. Like I think it's redemption, but it's actually Slough House has actually maybe risen in the ranks and maybe a little bit more funded to do the work they need to do. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Look, we, we've talked a lot about Jackson Lamb. I feel like the other main character for me, River Cartwright, Jack Loden, I think is absolutely superb in that role. I feel like um, I could have way more focus on his character as well. The other character you mentioned, Diana Tavener, Kristen Scott Thomas for me, this is definitely turning into my favourite performance for her. And across all three seasons, she's just gaining power you know we've got her now stepping up to what are we calling it first desk um mm. second desk um because sophie okonedo's character ingrid turney who was also great real slimy you know she's going to be well and truly at the picture i feel like kristen scott thomas um as, as taverner was just so so good and like you said those two worlds combi- combining and clashing of these you know the the very elitist of the most British posh well-to-do, you know, and then you get Jackson Lamb come and sit in your car and while he's talking to you, he probably smells bad enough as it is, you know, he's just farting in your car and he's like, oh, blimey, open the window, will you? You know, he's just, the, the world's clashing is where the mm, gold is. Mm, mm, I think you're right. And again, there's there's some other great characters in there too. Like I really enjoy Rosalind, uh, Lisa, who plays Louisa Guy. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Saskia Reeves as Catherine Standish again like just such a, a great kind of counterpart to Jackson Lamb as well in terms of being his kind of like PA and I, I just love even like that you know Jackson Lamb's like look she manages my diary without her I have no idea where I'm supposed to be like it's it's just perfect that's right Jonathan Price um who was Prince Philip in the Crown season six by the way his character as Cat Wright's granddad is always fun and mysterious. And I feel like there's a little bit more there that we could dive into mm-hmm. in terms of his history. And another thing I'd be sort of tempted to ask you, Dan, is would you, would you like to see, cause I would, if they peeled back a few layers on, on Jackson, because let him, you know, he's all about the bravado, uh, you know, and the one liners. And we love that tough exterior. That's what we're saying is this is the strength of it. But there's so much hidden beneath that. You know that there's things that have led him to wind up at Slayhouse and and live the life the way he does now in terms of a lack of self-care or self-hygiene. There are things in his past. I'd love to see a layer or two peeled back just once or twice. I actually think that's the ultimate spin-off series, right? Like you could imagine oh, yeah. a, a you know a Jackson Lamb kind of spin-off because I actually wouldn't be surprised if, if Jackson Lamb is closer to River Cartwright. Right. And, you know, which is why they've got such a tense relationship, because I would imagine Jackson probably sees a lot of himself in Rutha kind of being like headstrong, wanting to do the right thing. But I think doing kind of a, a back in time Jackson Lamb and you could even then touch on um, what's his name? Jonathan. Jonathan Price. Uh, Jonathan Price's character as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. 
And then you could kind of, you know, it could kind of lead to kind of his, his downfall, but that could be a great kind of what would that probably be said in the 60s, 70s. That mm. would be the Cold War era of, it could be great. That would be nice. That would be nice. Also interesting, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is the first season where I think no one from Slow House has actually got killed off because the first two seasons, they've always put, mm. you know, the crew's always in danger. And I think we actually came through this season intact and and that's not something I necessarily expected because you know the the the, the previous seasons we've I'm I'm trying to think of the the dude on the bicycle who was one mm. of the main characters. I can't think of it. Was mm. it Gil? Something like Gil, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um and when they do that, it's like shows we've talked about like Sopranos, like Lost, like Walking Dead, shows where if main characters are getting killed off all the time, it does raise that tension level just a little bit more. So um interesting that we all came through intact this season. Mm-hmm. So yeah, look, this is uh, Slow Horses. There is currently three seasons of it to watch on Apple TV. It's a favourite show of ours on Half Measures. Um, this is this is an all the guns TV show for me. And so Dan, it's a natural question to ask, which I I'll answer for you myself. Pick of the week for me is Slow Horses. What about you? It's, I think I'm going to have to go seeing you've got slow horses covered I'm going to go love and death because it was just such a, a surprise nice. and delight um, and something a bit different and something I, I should have watched last year um, but I recommend getting around it so yeah we have two it. shows that could have made it into our top tens by the sounds of it These this season three of slow horses and love and death so yeah well, that's the thing with slow horses, right? Like this, like why do they split these TV shows over December, oh. January? It makes it impossible for us to, like, I think we're going to do some conversations about some of these shows, like when it comes to doing our top ten for twenty twenty four, because, um, like, there's some shows that we're watching at the moment, Fargo, Richard, yep, that's right. Or, yep. You haven't finished yet, but, um, it will be. It's a, such a shame to kind of like not talk about them in a top ten context. It's like, my biggest first world problem complaint. Mm, mm. but then it breaks the integrity of the model so um look we'll we'll put it to the council and we'll we'll work on it over the year and see where it takes us good good. well was it time for a a little bit of news yes what do you got all right so uh not too much but a, a couple of things so last week we talked about how uh uh tom cruise is working in partnership with warner brothers um to sort of produce content, create movies, etc. Um, and it did raise a few questions for people about uh, Top Gun 3, which apparently still is in the works um, with Tom Cruise and Paramount, despite the, the Warner Brothers deal. So um, interesting to see we're getting the Top Gun 3. I, I'm unsure. I, like, I really enjoy it. Like, I love Top Gun, the first movie. I really enjoyed the second one. Can lightning strike again? I'm I'm unsure. I'm unsure. But... Mm. Um, good stuff that it's been worked on i guess uh what else have we got here so this is a i don't know a lot about this universe paul but i i just thought it was kind of interesting so you know how there's the big bang theory and then there's the spin-off tv show young sheldon Mm. apparently they're looking at doing another spin-off of some characters outside of the young sheldon tv show so i don't know enough about like i've never watched an episode of um young sheldon in my life but i thought it was interesting like i can't think of any tv show where we've had like a three-layer deep spin-off um that kind of easily comes to mind cheers i guess cheers. would be uh, oh, yeah, no, yeah no. loosely though that, that's probably yeah uh, no I, I just i thought interesting that they're they're they're, they're looking at doing a, another spin-off and apparently this this is going to focus on two characters called george and mandy which will mean nothing to either either of us because we haven't watched the TV show. Um, no. But yeah, interesting times. Um, speaking of spin-offs, though, um, old mate uh, Giancarlo Espinito is um, interested in uh, Gustavo um, freeing a spin-off from Breaking Bad. I do not think this is a good idea at all. Um, what do you think? I I I'm excited because I'm always asking what is the next entry into that universe the breaking bad universe the medical so what how do we get a third how do we get another spin-off in there um kim feels like a natural story out that could continue for me um gustavo is a dangerous one because we've already seen so much 
of him younger. They've they sort of done flashbacks. And of course, he winds up dead at the end of, of Breaking Bad, and we've seen him all throughout Medical Soul. So there's there's a limited opportunity there. I feel like there's a possibility of a mini series that could happen, but it would need to, I, I don't think there's enough story there because so much has been covered all the way back to how old was he like when they went in flashbacks? He looked about sort of 20, 25, right? And that's with a lot of de-aging. I just want you to imagine Padme and Madala crying right now. I don't know you anymore. You're breaking my heart. You're going down a path I can't follow. And I think <laughs> this is, like, we all love Gustavo Fring. Like, there's no doubt about it. Fantastic character. Um, but this is, you know, like, you know, just talking about the young Sheldon type of thing where there's, you know, multiple, this is probably be as, as close to it for us. And I think the thing that was great about uh, Better Call Soul is, we didn't like we didn't really know a lot about his character, like, and I, I feel like mm. we know it. Whereas we know a lot about Gustavo Fring, and we've had, as you said, we've had the flashbacks. So, I'm just, I almost, I would almost prefer a lesser known character. Um, and yeah. I wonder whether rather than going back in time, I almost would wonder like a leverage point off, maybe to go in a bit of a different direction, like take it into the future. But um, you 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 sort of um proposed a long time ago, Dan, and I supported it the idea of a Mike Ehrmantraut when he was young series with a bit of a voiceover from Jonathan Banks because Jonathan Banks now is too old to go back and and he's you know let's never forget he's where the name Half Measures came from um, with that classic line he delivered and so having him voice over a young we're going down a wormhole here but I would support that one Mm -hmm. I think yeah I think yeah I, I think it's I appreciate the kind of like the the hype of wanting that but anyway uh the other I guess what we're talking actually about this whole universe of medical soul um so medical soul um no no Emmy wins despite you know what 53 nominations Three. Mm. across um, which is which is crazy like when you think about the winners but anyway just uh, very sad it would definitely get an Emmy in my books but speaking mm. of Emmys so we've just had the Golden Globes now we've had the Emmys I don't know about you Paul but I feel like we've had the exact virtually same winners on the Golden Globes as we have in the Emmys like a lot of the winners are Succession The Bear Beef um, we've got the same like Kieran Culkin Sarah Snook Jeremy Allen White like that, like it feels unfortunately like it's it's too similar like, like I feel like it's okay that mm. maybe there needs to be some more time between these award ceremonies but um, mm. it felt like a very much uh, a repeat um, of the awards, and I know that that's that's not entirely true. There, there's a few additional categories um, in there, and a few different winners, but um, the the headline's still very much the same. It, it is, and uh, and I guess you know, beef, the bear, succession. Those are shows that have have resonated highly with us, and I absolutely love seeing Io Edebili get get her award and all the rest of it but i know what you mean it's it's too close I need to split them out also it's kind of like we've got the oscars for the movies and like emmys for the tv it's the golden globes that sort of straddles both as well which mm-hmm. kind of is very 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 confusing but um i think what the biggest thing that came out of it for me was actually what the bear was awarded for we talked about this just just a moment ago with slow horses with that comedy tag if you're gonna if you're gonna omit a comedy tag from Slow Horses. I don't know how you apply a comedy tag to the bear and then mm. give all the awards based on comedy. Because for me, whilst there are some laughs along the way, the success of the bear and the, the reasons why it should be winning awards is based on some of those hard hitting stories that you sort of, yeah, just make you laugh, cry, but also just go on a real roller coaster. I agree. I think it's the most. Um, I think to put it in that category is a disservice to probably all of the comedies out there. Um, mm, correct. But anyway, that is the uh, that is the Emmys. Is there any more news on your side, Paul? Not a lot, really. Just one thing I wanted to mention um, is TV uh, prequel series for Sexy Beast is is coming. For me, one of the greatest London gangster movies of all time. And when it's going to arrive in New Zealand, I don't know, because it's another one of those Paramount Plus mm-hmm. ones where we could get it on day one or we may not get it for seven years. But um, so I did watch the trailer for it and they've really nailed, I think, the Ben Kingsley, Ray Winstone characters. So um, I'm looking forward 
to that one when it comes. But no, that's the only other um, news from me, Dan. Anything in the mailbag this week? Yeah, we had a couple of cast members um, share the top 10 TV show award post that we sent them, you know, on Instagram, which is which is always great. You know, an Emmy or Golden Glow, you know, as you say, is nice, but I think they appreciate the laminated Half Measures podcast certificate too. Um, so the two we had then this week, uh, Jill Wagner um, from Special Ops Lioness, um, she shared the top 10 award for that show on her Instagram story. And then we had the T1000 himself, Robert Patrick, share the Night Agent Award and a link to our page on his Instagram story. Um, I love it. Which just the idea of the someone from Terminator 2 staring, sharing our link on their page is too much for me. We will be discussing more about Robert Patrick next week, of course, um, when we talk about Reacher season Two, I did forget to mention that our watch of the week next week is um, Reacher season two. Um, what else do we have here? Oh, some more things on top 10. <laughs> this one, uh, Jacinta from Lower Hut, uh, and I quote, I literally rolled my eyes when I heard you had Star Trek as your number one. <laughs> that really made me laugh. Conversely, we had Ian from... Uh, Miami uh, appreciate seeing Picard season three right the way up the list as this was the show he was watching when he first discovered the podcast so he said it was like everything had come full circle for him um, also he was on holiday in England over Christmas and he said on the plane on the way back to the USA he took it in a few episodes of Silo um, which we had in our top 10 podcast and uh, he's also part way through the bear as well he was then shocked that Ahsoka wasn't further up the list. So if we were to bring in Love and Death and, and Ahsoka was to move out, then we could be causing you know more concern there. And also uh, wants to know why Loki season two wasn't on the list. I will let you field that question, Dan. Um, I haven't watched Loki season two. I really didn't enjoy season one that much, which I, I really wanted to because I really enjoyed Loki as a character. I, in saying that, I know I need to watch it at some point. I think I've just kind of fallen off the Marvel wagon a little bit. Um, like, I'm kind of being a bit more selective with the stuff I'm watching. Um, like, I think I will get to Loki season two. I, I, there's something about that storyline that just hasn't hasn't drawn me in. But, um, look, if, Ian, if you're recommending it, then maybe I better check it out. It's a two-way street, and I think it's a two-way street, so... Um... So yeah, we will be going back into the Marvel world um, in a couple of weeks down the line as well, also in our Watch of the Week with Echo, so we'll see how we go with that. A um, couple more things then, as always, peak performance last week was Melanie Linsky. Uh, we had Richard, went with Yellow Jackets. Um, that is still on my list, that one. I need to get into that before the new season um, comes out. Uh, Sarah went with Two and a Half Men. Diana went with Heavenly Creatures. Michael's 321 was Candy. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. And number one was also Heavenly Creatures. And Paddy's 321, Flags of Our Fathers, Two and a Half Men, and Peak Performance was also Heavenly Creatures. So that's triggered the clause. I've added this to our potential rewatch list um, with that many mentions, Dan. That's the mailbag. It's interesting with Michael's mention of Candy because that is the other version of the Love and Death uh, right, the one you just mentioned. Yeah, before. yeah. So okay. that's the yeah, that's the other. Which is you know again great. That's the name of the character, cast. isn't it? The main. Yeah, character. it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I imagine it, it'd be interesting. Maybe Michael's watched both. It'd be interesting to know what one he's found better. Um, but yeah, good times. Very good, very good. Should we go across to peak performance then? Indeed, we shall. So each week, Paul and I take turns choosing different actors, actors, directors, producers, you name it, and we discuss what we think are their peak performances. This week, Paul, it was your turn, and you have chosen Mr. George Clooney. Mm. Bit of a big hitter not to have been in our um, peak performance already, given that we're up to, I think, like a, over 150 now, and we haven't gone there. Part of me really wanted to go with Bruce Wayne just for the fun of it, Dan, but I'll be honest, <laughs> it would have been just for the lols. He has so many terrific performances, there's no way I was going to waste an honourable mention for that. Honourable mention for me um, goes to um, 
Up in the Air from 2009. A really good movie. Another one that, no pun intended, I think may have flown under the radar. I really, I remember at the time, not many people seem to have seen it. It was just a, a really good one. It's, it's, he plays a character who basically lives out of a suitcase, you know, traveling around the country, um, firing people as well. Um, but he meets someone along the way and that um, changes things. But I just felt like you and I have both found ourselves in situations where you sort of travel around the country and you just find yourself in a suitcase all the time. It can become quite tiring. I think the idea is sometimes, oh, that looks like a great lifestyle, jet setting, but actually it can become quite tiring. And I really thought Clooney was strong in this movie from Jason Reitman. So that's my uh, honourable mention. And I thought long and hard about my peak performance because there were so many contenders. But in the end, I am going to go with his performance as Danny Ocean, probably from the first Oceans movie. I feel like it seems cliche. I feel like you could label that a lazy choice. And I would understand that because it seems like he's done so many other sort of maybe more pronounced performances. But this is a trilogy I love. This is a character I really enjoy. And I just feel like, you know, I did a review of all three of them a while ago and there's no one in the world better suited to that sort of role. The Danny Ocean type character, someone who's smarmy, charmy, full of tricks, you know, a great poker face, always one step ahead of the rest of them, always got a master plan. And I, yeah, I'm sticking to it. It's, it's my choice. I'm going with Danny Ocean. I just thought he really brought that character home. So that's, me, Dan, up in the air, and Danny Ocean. What about you? All right. So, uh, honorable mention, uh, I'm going with 2009's uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, this is a classic Wes, Wes Anderson film, one of my favorite Wes Anderson films. Uh, George Clooney plays Mr. Fox himself. I think there's something about the stop motion animation and George Clooney's kind of like almost kind of like deadpan voice that just makes this work on a on a whole nother level and just fantastic fantastic storytelling fantastic voice acting um and as soon as you see George Clooney um I knew fantastic Mr Fox had to be in my in my list for my uh, peak performance I'm actually going to go with an old school classic and I know that I would imagine George Clooney doesn't even rate this himself as one of his top performances but this is kind of my real like it was a real coming of age movie for me this is from Dust Till Dawn in, in 1996 and a classic Robert Rodriguez movie I feel like just something you know like so different and it kind of this this sort of style of storytelling really kind of um, I think blew me away. Like George Clooney and Quentin Tarantino working together as brothers. One half of the film um, about sort of uh, being on the escape um, bank robbers or criminals, um, then turning into the second half of the film being a full blown vampire um, murder fest in in Mexico. Like it's just, like what more could you ask for in a combination of movies? like this is a great movie. It's been a very long time since I've seen it, but I always remember. Um, thinking this is a, a super badass role for George Clooney um, as Seth Gecko. So there you have it. I love that one of us had some older, because there's so many of those older movies, you know, like like Beastmaker, Out of Sight, just old school George Clooney. Mm, um, mm, great mm. shout, Dan, great shout. Well, Paul, I guess that brings us to the end of uh, another episode of the Half Measures podcast. Does indeed. Thanks as always for listening in. Let us know your peak performance for George Clooney. And if you've got any suggestions for us to add to our list or any comments on anything we reviewed, get in touch halfmeasurespodcast.com or on the socials. Also, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting King, Diana Kanawa, Trisha Brady, and Michael Chalmers. If you too would like to become a Patreon producer of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.